This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me. Help. Help. Good morning. Good morning. Professor Ward Scott here on the man, in the manly warthog man cave here in uh, Piney Woods of North Central Florida in the Melvin Law Studio, protected by crime prevention. Uh, 24-7, 365, and that uh, today really is, uh, we've reached the close of another um, Western calendar anyway, uh, Judeo-Christian Western calendar. We've reached the end of that uh, way of keeping time. You know, we have a linear view of time in the Judeo-Christian culture rather than a circular view of time, which was the way of time you'll find in the Old Testament, particularly Ecclesiastes, the sun hastens to the place from which it came. Uh, and everything in the pagan world uh, was um, uh, based upon a repetition of the past. And once we had a linear calendar put in, why the past became irrelevant. And you had to always start looking forward. And then we started having slogans like progress is our most important product, like that which was uh, invented by General Electric. And we became a culture that never looked back and therefore argument Argue, arguably, we never learn from the past since we don't think uh, the past is relevant in the present or in the future. But as William Faulkner said, the past is not even over. It's not even the past. And if, definitely, if you read the Nobel Prize winner's work, you'll know that time is seamless in his work. Um, linear time is a, is a Western invention, works quite well, and uh, but it has created a certain mindset that maybe you don't even know you're program to. It's only uh, if you have a classical education, which we don't have anymore to much extent at all in these universities, you get a comparison of the real fundamental underpinnings of a culture, such as how you measure time, how you keep your most important records, whether they're oral or written down, and uh, when uh, industrialization comes along and changes the way man sees himself in relationship to nature in a profound way. So um, I know this is pretty uh, heady stuff for some of you, but this is the world I lived in intellectually all my professional career and still do. Um, everything that you see momentarily is really a repetition, if you will, with the names and dates changed, but the behavior, because it's human beings, is essentially the same. The same suspicions, the same uh, tribal confederations, uh, they grow in and out of favor. Uh, they get a bandwagon. They become uh, this and that and one thing or another. The, the, the founding fathers don't get enough credit for trying to capture the essence of that which was timeless and frame it in language and put it in the Constitution. And they knew a good and well uh, that the human nature uh, tended to be a bully by uh, if it was if you weren't careful with it. So they put in all sorts of checks and balances to keep anyone from becoming uh, the central commander. And so we have, of course, 
the Congress, and in that we have the Senate and the House. As you know, we have the judicial branch. We have the uh, presidential world. Um, and all that has been, we're up until now basically kind of uh, adhered to and uh, more or less as we've moved through political uh, political tides. So um, we, um, we, uh, um, I've noticed a title today's show looking in the in the mirror uh, in the mirror ahead, and what I mean by that is, um, if you want to know where you're going, you got to know where you came from, and uh, that is why I say looking in the mirror ahead. So I'm going to just kind of r- rumble through, if you will. Um, by the way, follow us on Rumble, and and uh, that grows our followers and uh, gives us a. Uh, way to sidestep um, the YouTube uh, uh, despots and all that business. So um, I'm going to just sort of rumble through my mind really over events that I feel uh, at the close of the year we need to uh, learn from going ahead by looking back. Um, Locally, I want to begin with some of the stories that have been profoundly dominant for whatever reasons in our area. Um, they are, of course, classic. If you follow my uh, presentation today, my thesis, um, they are classic. They are repetitive. They will repeat themselves uh, somewhere, someday, somehow, maybe right now, uh, with different names and different characters. Um, uh, but uh, they are nevertheless um, have a specific action. Uh, that is representative of a larger enveloping action that is constant and universal. And the first one that comes to mind, and I'm only only gonna take them in the order in which they come to mind, is of course this uh, attempt to criminalize a commercial argument, uh, an argument that was, uh, should have been in a civil court, should never have been in a criminal court, and the mystery all good stories have a mystery. The mystery of how in the world was an argument over commissions, how did it result in a SWAT raid on a real estate office with innocent people being zip tied, their personal property taken and kept, and the whole incident, if you will, labeled a crime. How did that happen? Because we need to know how that happened to prevent it from happening again. But I assure you, looking in the mirror ahead, it will happen again somewhere, somehow, and it's happening right now, somewhere, somehow. Now let's see if we can unravel what we've learned from that, if anything. Number one, this was costly. This criminalization of a civil argument was costly, emotionally, financially, professionally, to innocent people. It was made possible by a party to the argument. We know that from testimony and depositions. That one party to the argument paid for the investigation 
that was then used against that party's foe and actually honored as legitimate by not only the police department, but the state attorney, Brian Kramer, honored this data, if you will, the files that were supposedly stolen, that had to be retrieved expensively from a storage area in the cloud, was honored as legitimate by the state attorney, who happens, by the way, to know all these people, to have been childhood friends and still a friend and a supporter of Ken Cornell, who is a party to all this, who is a county commissioner. Now, you know, unintentionally, I stumbled into a deposition because they made the access public and granted me access and then hollered foul and shut the deposition down. That really was emblematic of an attempt to keep the community from having the transparency it needed to know what this was about. Because everybody in the community understands they could have been sitting in that real estate office and been zip tied and had their personal property taken. So the community wanted to know. So we started looking, the Ward Scott files. And I'm telling you, it didn't smell good. And as we're closing in, and by that I mean we're trying to get to the bottom of the central question, how did a civil argument become a criminal event? The theft of something which turned out wasn't valuable because it wasn't prioritized by the ownership of the person who claimed it was. I sat in a courtroom and watched the Omar the tent maker the assistant state attorney who was trying to convince or stall or something that the state attorney had this property, this so-called valuable files, which the state attorney never had. He couldn't produce them for the judge. And yet it dragged on. It dragged on. It dragged on. We know the mediator, Rod Smith, was called in to mediate this was paid, we think, by some public money to make this go away. Make what go away? Well, as we understand it, there's a deal cooked up. If you go away, and we don't know the settlements of the thing because everybody who's a party to it has been gagged, and if any of them was to puke up the truth, then they'd open the case again. So this is, it's kind of an extortion. If you shut up about it and settle it, we'll make it go away. And why would they want it to go away? Because we suspect, allegedly, there's something to know. There's something to know that affects the integrity of this entire community. 
That's a huge story we covered for a long time. That many people came to me and said, wow, if it were not for the words God files, we wouldn't know a thing about this. And now we have a federal case with a party who was zip tied and had property taken, who was an innocent bystander, who's suing the city and the cops for the heavy handed treatment of him. And there's been depositions taken in which one of the cops says, well, they paid us, one of the parties, the boss arts paid us to go find, you know, we weren't, we didn't have the money to pay to get this stuff out of the clouds. So the boss arts paid us. And we have a recording of that. And we have a recording on Ward's hot bulletin board. You can hear it. Throw into this mix a scandalous accusation from the point of view of the party involved and being accused that Grotos and Rawls deliberately inflated the price of a piece of property that they were a transaction broker for, meaning they were simply facilitating the deal between the owner of the property and the school board. And the school board members, certain and a couple of them got in there and started slamming these people. That got entwined. Throw in Carly Simon on this, who gets dumped. But before she's dumped, Cornell goes down and sticks up for her. And we find out, of course, that Simon has flipped properties, quite a number of them, through Boss Hart real estate. You know, it's a tangled web we have here. And along comes the door slammed, the deal is made, and everybody's on a gag order. But there's one loophole. That's the federal lawsuit. Now, I predict having a looking in the mirror going forward, that what will happen, I'm going to say it here on the show, this is my prediction, what will happen? is that lawsuit will be settled out of court. The city is indemnified against this kind of stuff, supposedly, and rather than allow the public to really know the answer to the fundamental question, how did a civil matter get criminalized? Who did it? Why did they do it? And what did it cost the people who were cr labeled criminal, not financially, but emotionally, psychologically? What price tag do you put on that? What price tag do you put on the innocent people in the families? So I predict that the city will settle and maybe another gag order. We'll pay you off to be quiet is basically what it sounds like to a lot of people watching the cases. We will pay you off to be quiet because we don't want you, the public, you talking to the public and we don't want this thing ever to see the light of day. 
we have our lives to conduct. I have to be the state attorney. I have to be the county commissioner. I have to run the real estate. Hey, we got to act as if all this were just simply what? I asked him, I asked you what? So that's a story that uh, we covered. That we don't really have the answers to. It is uh, interesting looking ahead whether the community can be taught anything from this. Because remember, this is a classroom I'm conducting on the Ward Scott Files. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm the professor. I give you subject matter to study. I ask you, what do you learn from this? What is it that you learn from this? What is it you would change in this? I mean, you're the community. Whom would you vote for? Whom would you vote out? How much faith do you have in law enforcement after something like this? How much faith do you have in the prosecutorial branch of the community after something like this? This, I'm repeating, is a huge story. Huge in terms of people that got drawn into it, the judges, the, the liars, the lawyers. the friends, the families. Who's the villain? Who's the good guy? What's the complication? Every story has a complication and the really difficult stories have the most complications. It gets extremely complicated. This is a pretty complicated story. When the state attorney is a childhood chum of a county commissioner who's a financial officer for the real estate office that bought the investigation and paid for it and gave it to GPD. That's very interesting. I've not really run across that much. You know, we study all sorts of things. I mean, that's the whole nature of being uh, a teacher is you study stories and you trying to figure out the whodunits and who supposedly is this and supposedly that um, and why. Every character needs a motivation. In, in, uh, in storytelling, there's a motivation why everyone does everything. Sometimes the motivations are honorable. Sometimes they aren't. Sometimes they're selfish. Sometimes they're charitable. You know, there's all sorts of people uh, in the world, in the story. Some are innocent. Some are just as wicked as can be. And uh, you can go through this saga and take these characters, put them on a piece of paper and make a, a, a nice, interesting uh, play out of it. And you'll have good guys and you'll have bad guys. You'll have selfish people. You'll have innocent people. You'll have complication. What was the complication? It seems that initially the complication was that Drotos and Riles were huge producers for Boss Hart. And Boss Hart was not going to let them go. I think that 
begins the deal. I'm privy to some information, which I really, I am too not sharing just yet anyway, um, that I've been told. You know, a storyteller is a listener. And I'm nothing more on this show than a storyteller. And sometimes the stories I tell, you know, YouTube doesn't like, it doesn't meet the nationally accepted version of the story. And, uh, you know, obviously the parties involved here want a community accepted version of the story, which is, oh, go away little doggy, there's nothing here to see. You know, it's all settled in misunderstanding. It wasn't a misunderstanding. It was a malicious attack. And the court saw this and awarded a monetary judgment to parties who were viciously attacked. I think it was about 1.5 million. Well, 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 what a long tail our cat has. But every story, every character has a motivation. You know, uh, why did Claudius kill his brother Hamlet, King Hamlet? He killed his brother for power. You know, when you go looking around for motivation in any kind of story, frequently what you run into is power. They want power. In this case, some of these people tremendously enjoy their position in life. I'm no doubt the state attorney loves his job as state attorney. No doubt Cornell loves the power he has and the, and the position he has as the commissioner. And on and on and on. And it's not a character who doesn't have a motivation. Now, um, the other story, which we've been covering with you and which Mark did a tremendous job yesterday of detailing. I know of no one who has a command of quote unquote voter irregularities the way Mark does, uh, speaking off the top of his head yesterday without notes extensively. And he could have gone on uh, another couple of hours on things that he has discovered in that subject, which we've worked together on also. And we are uh, interested in how in the world did this slip by people who are paid to not let things like this slip by. And what we're talking about is people voting who shouldn't be voting. And the people who are supposed to guard that from happening are not. In fact, not only are they not guarding it, they're helping it to happen. This was the most amazing discovery. The most amazing discovery that the outreach director of the Supervisor of Elections Office, Kim Barton's employee, T.J. Pichet, definitely outreached. He went into the jail during COVID, by the way. Not once, we understand, but maybe more than that. And signed up people who were not, got them voting who were not eligible to vote. So there's a mystery in this story. Every really good story has a mystery. And certainly this is one you can look ahead to from looking in the mirror. And we covered that yesterday. 
what in the world is going to happen subsequently to this discovery, which the supervisor would never have discovered, the community would never have known about, had the irregularity not been noticed that, hey, this guy violates the law and you helped him. Oh, well, I'll take the fifth on that. So, we, oh, you don't, you don't want to say whether you helped him or not. You want to say that he just ran over the clipboard you held out and said, where do I sign up? Were you under any obligation as an agent of the state? Well, no, it's not my responsibility. You're on the honor system. If you come and tell us you're eligible to vote, well, we're not going to question you. You're on the honor system. This is the heart of this mystery. How much honor is there in the honor system of voting? It appears as if there's very, very little. Very little. And if you ask for more honor, such as voter ID or more accountability, you get all this, oh, well, that's voter suppression. You can't take away, there's a right. You know, a right, where's the right to be responsible? You don't have a right to drive a car. You have to be licensed to drive a car. You don't have a right to go to the bar. You have to be a certain age to go. You don't have a right to give or sell the liquor to that who comes in without a license. Everything the state licensed you with the exception, it appears, to voting which supposedly is just a right with no responsibilities on the part of the voter. And consequently, an abdication of responsibility on the part of the, in this case, the supervisor of elections office. It's an amazing phenomenon. It's, and it's not over. And clearly, the governor means well, but nothing we can see that the governor has done has been effective at all. You know, you have to have a passion for what you're doing. If it's just a job, you know, all I do with this show is cover the expenses. I appreciate the donors, by the way. We got a couple of donors that helped me, and that's about it. We pay the bills. You know, this is a, this is a, you know, I like, helping you understand things that you wouldn't otherwise know. And one of these days, I'll get kind of drawn down and that'll be the end of it. And I don't think there'll ever be another show like this. Don't, hasn't been so far. So I don't know what's gonna happen looking in the mirror ahead. Except in the immediate future, I know that there will be depositions taken. And there are going to be people who have to swear under oath. And we're going to cover that. And we're going to keep a watchful eye on it to see if we can discern 
how the criminal justice system and is this this is the criminal justice system. The Drotos Riles also was not a criminal justice system. It was a civil argument. So those are just two big stories. I've just scratched the surface here, really. Still haven't talked about the school board and all the shenanigans there. And all the things going on at the university that are corrupting the actual mission of a university. I'm gonna get about I want to get into that when we get back from the bottom of the hour break. So this is yours truly. Looking in the mirror ahead at just a couple of stories local that the Wards God Files covered that are mysteries. That we really haven't gotten to the bottom of it. And you know, a lot of good stories never solve the mystery. They just resolve. You know, one of the biggest mysteries we had in this community back in the 90s was, of course, the behavior of Danny Rawling. And one of the biggest favors Danny Rawling did the justice system was when he stood up and Judge Morris, I think it was Judge Morris, Stan Morris, asked him how he pled. And he said, Your Honor, you can, I, I watched it. Your Honor, you can run, but you can't hide. I'm guilty. Boy, did that take a load off the criminal justice system. And then the whole trial became an exploration into why would he do this? Why would he do this? And I think we kind of got to the bottom of that. And when we come back, maybe I'll share that with you. We're going to break now for the bottom of the hour weather. And be right back on the Ward Scott Files. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner. On the right side of the page, or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. 
what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All these poop. Oh, warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. Welcome back to Board Scott Files. I want to thank Lewis Oil for this opportunity to uh, bring you the weather, which is kind of broken here in a positive way for us here at the Manly Command Center. We're going to be up about 80 degrees here today. And I understand it's also going to warm up in the northeast section, and all of a sudden you're going to have running water from snow. So, uh, But the most interesting story I've run across uh, has been something that happened, which I have to think would just be one of the most Oh, boy, would it be an unfortunate deal to have happen to you? Uh, I don't know if all of you know where the Eisenhower Tunnel is. It's a uh, vehicular tunnel, uh, 70, 60 miles west of Denver, Colorado, and it goes under the Continental Divide in the Rocky Mountains, and it's about 12,000 feet high above sea level, one of the highest vehicular tunnels in the world, and it's the longest mountain tunnel and highest point in the interstate highway transportation system of the U.S. Um, the, the, the thing about it uh, that is, as um, I want to talk about today is the fact that it's almost two miles long. And when I-70 was shut down, they shut down the tunnel and all the cars in the tunnel were in that tunnel, my friends, for 10 hours in the frigid weather. And so there was a problem. If you ran your automobile motor to stay warm, you asphyxiated yourself with carbon monoxide in the tunnel. Wow. Now, as I said a couple of days ago, I think I've been stuck on the Burford Pass, north of Empire, outside of Winter Park, at its highest point in a blizzard. And a lot of things go through your mind then. Geez, I never thought this would happen to me. Do I have enough food? Do I have enough water? How long will it be here? How can it ever reach me? Uh, what ifs and all that. But complicated and put people in the Eisenhower Tunnel for 10 hours. Now, apparently, and I'm not sure if this school was adjacent to the tunnel, but there was a situation where there was a school that was broken into by a fellow. It might have been right outside this tunnel. I'm not sure. I don't imagine there's a school outside this tunnel, but another place where there were people stuck on the interstate who broke into a school and opened it up and people went in there. And this guy's now a hero. He's not considered to be a burglar. 
and they had food and they had warmth and they 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 uh could get through the blizzard by staying in the school. So one of the things I've learned in this world as I've gotten older is your assumptions are just that, they're assumptions. And they don't really care that you assume that they're not special. Uh, they're just your wannabes. And yes, you'd like to assume that you're going to get through the Eisenhower Tunnel. But are you prepared if you don't? And that is always a significant moment in the lives of people when the assumptions don't hold up. So I thought I'd pass that along as today's story about the weather. Do not <laughs> assume that when you strike out in an automobile that your trip from point A to point B will be as usual, normal. Uh, look at the interstate traffic, for example. All of a sudden, uh, you're, you're stuck. At least in Florida, you got pretty good weather. But at, on the interstate traffic in Colorado, of course, they didn't. Well, well, well. I covered a couple of local stories here for you the first half hour that were significant um, in our community. Um, the other significant story in our community, of course, has been the battle over uh, school boards and instruction to children and whether or not there'll be um, a, a demand to put into the curriculum of the school something other than the three R's, if you will, and that is some admission of guilt and recognition of bias and changing of values and language and names and all this sort of thing, down to even changing the names on school buildings, um, if they had any Confederate ramifications. You know, back to my beginning of this show today, if you want to understand, my presentation today suggests that you have to look back in order to know what's ahead, because what's ahead is going to repeat what happened in the past. And right now, the story that's in favor, and all these events have their moments, where their version is preferred and then that gets replaced by another version and on and on and on. It's called point of view in storytelling. Uh, from whose, through whose eyes are you looking at this? There's always a point of view. And in the professional world of storytelling, you learn how to use those. There's the omniscient point of view. There's the first person retrospect. There's the first person innocent eye. There's the third person. There's the scenic point of view. And then you study guys who use these things. You study Hemingway, who primarily was a scenic point of view writer. You study War and Peace and Tolstoy, 
omniscient point of view writer, a god of Russia, as he tells the story and knows the motivations of all the characters. You have the first person innocent point of view in Huckleberry Finn, who tells the story but doesn't really know the significance of what he's telling. And therein lies the drama, the reader knows the significance. So this is often used, used in Catcher in the Rye uh, by J.D. Salinger, used of course by uh, uh, Tom, uh, Mark Twain in Huckleberry Finn. So the story of what is appropriate in a classroom, the point of view has been the scene of the battle. And really, ever since Obama, when he said he was going to change fundamentally America, this point of view battle has become louder and louder and louder. Until it's manifested and become what's known as woke. And what are you woke to? Well, it depends on who you are in the story. If you're a nasty white guy from Europe, descendants, you're an evil character. You've written the story favoring you at the expense of the characters you exploited. So isn't it about time that the descendants of the, of the exploited characters got to tell their version of the story? And then it has all sorts of complications because I said every good story has all sorts of complications. Well, there are a couple of things in the way. There's a Magna Carta, there's the Constitution, there's the Protestant Reformation, colonialism, Western theology. All these things are very complicated. Northern and Southern hemispheres, version of the same situation called, in this story, slavery. Manumission and miscegenation in the Southern hemispheres because of the Puritans in the Northern hemisphere. Miscegenation and manumission were not possible. So the scene now, and it was interesting to watch this happen, the school boards, whose candidates for the longest time were kind of out of the main stage, nobody really paid much attention to it except maybe the parents now and then, all of a sudden became the battleground. The state got involved and Governor got involved and um, the race card was played. And riding the coattail of this came all the other issues 
that want to see themselves as minorities, sexual identities and uh, genders and, and all these things get in the mix. And so one of the most interesting stories to cover locally and statewide and even nationally has been, of course, the school boards. And as an extension of that, the universities. For the universities, it appears to those of us on the Ward Scott Files who study this stuff, complain about political interference in the university, yet they, the faculty and administrations, are the ones who politicize the university. They're the ones who have crammed the wokeism into their curriculum. And so the entire education system has been a story. And a battleground, a fierce battleground. And the whole woke value, if you will, or ideology became an economic battleground, taking away the tax-exempt status of Disney. Okay, you're going to play that game while well, you pay like everybody else. There's no reason why you should get any special breaks. They've lived, outlived their... And all of a sudden, DeSantis wins uh, the election in a landslide. And then all of a sudden, Florida becomes the point of interest about wokeism and all of it, suggested meanings. Now, looking in the mirror ahead, you wonder where does this stop? You know, the removal of statutes. We got it. The same thing, you take Lee out of West Point. Rather than teach people why Lee was in West Point and teach Lee as a leader, you just out of sight, out of mind. And you know, from somebody who looks back a long way, as yours truly does here, in order to look forward. The parallels between Russia and Ukraine and the North and the South are so interesting to look at. We, United States, and Ukraine's not a part of NATO, as I understand it, on our own, pretty much, have weighed in on the side of Ukraine. The South always thought England would weigh in on the side of them because the South were Anglophiles. They wanted to replicate the 
governmental model of England. They were not the rebellious ones. The Puritans in the Northeast were the rebellious ones. So they were dismayed when England never came in on their side. You know why? Because there was a surplus of cotton. See, England had been getting its cotton from the South. And the plantations were owned many times by the Northerners. Much the same way in which the United States relates to China. My golly, I looked on a couple of things I have here, a hat, a pair of shoes. I looked at the label, it says made in China. And you go look at, no, don't look at how they're made in China. Don't, 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 don't look. And that's the same way it was with cotton in the North. Whatever's going on in the South with the plantations or whatever, we don't want to know about. We just want the product and we'll make this material. And England was the same way until England discovered, hey, we got our own source of cotton. That's in the Caribbean and India, which were their colonies. But they weren't rebellious colonies. You see, from the point of view of England, why should I help any of America when they all rebelled? Northern and Southern, you know, rebelled against George. So here we have parallels with Putin claiming, and you know who greased the skids for this was Obama. Obama let Putin take Crimea without firing a shot. And he was warned against that. Hey, it's like a kid who takes your lunch money. He takes your lunch money, and then he's going to take your buddy's lunch money. So Obama let Putin take Crimea's lunch money. Nothing was really done. And we have, of course, Putin, who thinks that Crimea along with Ukraine, is really Russia. Just as the North thought, Alabama, Mississippi, they're really the United States. When the agreement was, you could vote yourself in, you could vote yourself out. But, you know, the federal government of the United States broke every treaty it ever had with the Native Americans. And it broke its own covenant with the Southerners. So when you look at these situations, these stories in a big picture, you look in the mirror head, you see all these commonalities because it's human behavior. Human behavior. This is the way humans are. And we're throwing billions and billions of dollars in this omnibus bill. There's a bunch more money for military. I know how much ammunition costs, believe me. I go to the range, we all know how much it costs every time we fire, every time we pull the trigger. And if you take a look at some of this ammunition and the way it's flying out of these barrels, it's mind-boggling. And now we have drones doing the battle. Ah, we don't even know where that's going to go. So another big story 
that we found ourselves covering is this repetition of territorial acquisition for the purposes of power. And depending upon your point of view, you either favor that acquisition or you disfavor it. And that's what makes it so complicated. Everyone sits at a different place at the table. Not only positionally, but also in terms of age and sees things therefore differently. There's a great story by Robert Penn Warren called When the Light Gets Green. Told by a young man about his grandfather and the young man never really appreciates the grandfather. The grandfather was a tobacco farmer. He could tell when the light got green, which is the title of the story, that hail was coming and that the tobacco crop would be ruined. And the boy never really appreciated that until the grandfather was gone. And then he realized there were no more people in that family who knew what the weather was going to be from looking at the sky. Why? Because more and more of the people on the land were moving to the cities. And more and more people in the cities couldn't see the sky. Great story. Robert Penn Warren, When the Light Gets Green. First time I read it, I couldn't understand it. I thought, what's happened? What's happened? And then I realized, wow, I see what's happened now. The entire culture has changed. Well, what put people in the cities and took them off the land? The Industrial Revolution. The biggest revolution in Western life. That has produced enormous material wealth. But it's run on fossil fuel. And now the perplexing, head-scratching issue on what do you do with the energy source if you reach a point of diminishing returns where you're fouling your own nest? And that's become a huge story. And so we have environmental this and environmental that. And we have boondoggles like the biomass plant here locally, which is a huge story, which has led to the incompetence and malfeasance of the city of Gainesville government, which can't manage its own way to the restaurant. We've created all these ideologues, all these philosophical philosophers who have no practical experience and never look back to look ahead. The other story has been enormous, has been COVID. I don't know that I've said all along that COVID will be to this generation of people what the depression was 
to that generation of people. By that, I mean permanently changing their lives forever. And COVID has certainly done that. And now there's talk about COVID coming back. And there's the eternal argument about the effectiveness of the treatments. And then there's a politicalization of that argument and the corruption of science and whose science is science. It's an amazing two or three years we've come through. And it's led to all sorts of unintended consequences. It's affected the workforce. It's affected the economy. We printed money to keep people happy. And now people expect forever to have money. It's a really now we learn having watched this supposed outbreak in China again, and I've known this for quite a while because I used to have a very good friend who was the research physician for Merck Pharmaceutical. There are worse viruses to follow this one. And we will be engaging with them as we encroach into habitat because of our transportation abilities and all. Habitats where we're not genetically prepared to go. Not unlike that which killed off the Native Americans when the Europeans came uh, 25 years after they arrived on the New England shores, those Native American villages were extinct, killed by diseases for which the Native Americans had no immunity because they had been separated from Europeans by the water. The Native Americans were initially the first slave of choice, but the Native American had no immunity to European diseases. So consequently, the African became the slave of choice because the Africans and the Europeans had traded with each other across the Mediterranean for centuries, and the Africans had immunities to European diseases. Smallpox did not affect the person from Africa the way it, it, it affected the Native American. Fascinating stuff. I'm down to the end of my analysis of stories. My golly, they're not all of them. We're going to take a break on Monday. Uh, going to look at the new year and evaluate where we go from here. The Words God Files now and my voice has been heard in one form or another for about 10 years. And I'll take a look at that and see, um, you know, in the mirror ahead, what uh, I feel about that. So uh, thank you for being a sponsor and thank you for being a donor. Thank you for being a listener. Thank you for being a follower. Happy New Year, everybody. And uh, Godspeed. Warthog Command Center out.